0: How's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as always. This is episode 83. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving last week uh, and everything's going well for you. I really do hope that for you. I'm about to be joined by the great Brendan Buckley for a second time. Brendan was our guest back on episode uh 31, I believe. And we got to catch up with Brendan while he was uh, on a brief tour stop in Taiwan. He was on his way to China to do some shows. So he'll be joining me right after this break from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center, or heart, of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of Red Hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos drumsticks, visit them online at loscabostrumsticks.com, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory revolution with Los Cabos drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned, we're about to be joined by Brendan Buckley. Uh, Brendan was our guest. It's been uh, about a year, a year and a half ago, I'll say. Uh, Back on episode 31, uh, we visited with Brendan. He was on tour with Shakira at that point on a world tour. Since we last talked to Brendan, uh, he did a tour with Perry Farrell. Um, he's been in Asia touring with, uh, some Asian pop stars, just super busy and such a great guy. And, and I'm very proud to say that Brendan and I have stayed in touch since he visited us last and, uh, wanted to get him back on just to catch everybody up. And we had a really cool conversation, even though he was halfway around the world. So we thank him for taking time out of his schedule to do that. So please help me welcome back to the Drum Shuffle, Brendan Buckley. Hey, Brendan, how's it going, brother? It's
1: all right. All right. How you doing,
0: man? I cannot complain at all. Hey, uh, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, I want to get this out of the way first. Um, Brendan and I are connecting and we are about 14 hours apart. Brendan is on a, a, a much deserved day off in Taipei, Taiwan. Uh, and I am sitting at home in Kentucky uh, doing the show. So it is, you know, Sunday evening for me, but Monday morning for Brendan. So, so cool of you to do this, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. You know, yeah, we had to take advantage of uh, the fact that I had a, had a day off today. So um, we had to do the math the math and, and the hours to figure out what would be, what would be uh, suitable for both of us, but we did it, yeah, we, we did it and it's
0: happening. <laughs> we did drummers doing math, go figure. Um, so the last time we caught up with you, you were in the middle of a world tour with Shakira and, you know, I get asked all the time, I'll get emails from listeners and they're like, Hey, do you keep up with all these guys that and girls that you have on the show And I say, well, it depends. Some of them, yes. Some of them, no. And, you know, you and I have stayed in touch in the, you know, 16, 17 months since you were on the show last. But tell us what you've been up to, because you've done some really cool gigs since you wrapped up with Shakira last year.
1: Yeah, um, let's see. Let's So yeah, that was the middle of that tour, that Shakira 2018 El Dorado tour, which uh, she just released uh, a live DVD movie of that uh, last week actually. So I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I hope you maybe get a copy of it. Check (laughs) it out. And then uh, what did I do after that? I think uh, I I have a really good relationship with a couple um, Asian pop singers that I work with, uh, and I think I hopped right onto a tour with. I've seen named Jeff Chang, uh, and uh, let's see. And then what else did I do after that? And then uh, I joined Perry Farrell's new band, which uh, he just released a solo record called Kind Heaven. And Perry Farrell, I'm sure everyone knows them, the singer for Jane Addiction and Porno for Pyros. So he released their new album last June. So we started rehearsing in May and we did, uh, June through September, I think it was, a tour, uh, of Europe and the U.S., which is so, so fun and great band, great people involved. And then, um, taking a little break from that. Uh, we're going to start again next March, I believe, with a South American leg. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that. And, uh, let's see. Well, right now I'm back in Asia. Because I'm, I'm back with the, uh, Jeff Chang tour, uh, doing, uh, several shows in China, but I have a couple days off right now in Taipei, just chilling out. And what else? Uh, just kind of bouncing around. Uh, I like to fill my schedule up with, uh, anything I can and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, doing one-offs here or there, recordings and things like that. What
0: else? What am I (laughs) leaving out? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you're you're you are leaving out quite a bit. I mean, you're one of the busiest guys that I know. I mean, it's literally you go months without a day off. So, if you don't mind, I want to delve into something. I, you know, certainly want to talk about Perry Farrell because you know that's just he's an icon in the business, and and landing that gig is pretty cool. But, you know. How hard is it when you are, you know, kind of going from gig to gig and you don't have any time off? How do you deal with that, especially with you know your family back home, you know, in California? How do you deal with it?
1: It uh, it takes a lot of uh, organization and forethought, I guess. I have to start planning for things way in advance. Like, if someone asks me, hey, can you do this one-off um, in Las Vegas um, six weeks from now? I'm not sure I have that that day available. Like, what day do I need, need to leave? What day do I come home? Are there any rehearsals? And I also say, get, get me the songs as soon as possible because I probably won't have time to learn the songs that week. So if you can get them to me like four weeks in advance, then I can learn them and kind of get that thing out of the way. So it's it's a lot of... Planning, uh, I don't like to leave things to the last minute because that's when it gets really hectic. I'd rather deal with the the song, the travel, the gear, everything uh, involved with that, and, you know, um, if I can't three or four weeks out, it makes it a lot easier. Uh, so if I'm trying to slow now if I'm doing that with eight different gigs, I have to do all of that with different managers or MDs or producers. I say, okay please uh, send me the check as soon as you can so I can start working on that, on this flight. I have this eight-hour flight. I'm going to learn all the songs on that flight or, um, you know, away, what gear is going to be available and, you know, the travel and everything. So that's the biggest thing. And then, like you said, I also, I live in L.A. I have a family in L.A., so I'm always trying to also plan everything with them, making sure that when I get home, I have as much time as possible to spend with them and I'm not doing things like, learning songs, practicing, and, I don't know, uh, organizing and checking emails all day long that I'm supposed to be doing family time. So I try to do all that, you know, when I'm traveling or on the road or, you know, in between sound checks and shows. So I don't have to do that when I'm at home. So when I'm at home, I can take my kid to school and, you know, do things like that.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I mean, so I guess that leads to the next question. You do stay so busy, Um, You know, presumably when somebody like Perry Farrell calls up, you are probably thinking if you do have some one offs or some recording sessions in there, I'm not saying you would ever leave anybody high and dry because I know you're, you know, the consummate professional about that. But I'm assuming you go into a mode of, okay, let me clear the schedule. It's Perry Farrell. Am I right in saying that?
1: Yeah, well, that is that is a great question, and that's something that freelance artists have to cope with constantly. Uh, not just me, anyone who's successful and busy in this this industry, or if they're an actor or whatever, uh, I'm sure they have to deal with the same thing. Is like um, everything overlaps, and then you have to deal with that uh, that scheduling scheduling conflicts or everything. You know, and, and how do you deal with that? So uh, if if one artist decided to hire me for 365 days a year, that'd be great. But that's not really how it works. Uh, A a dozen artists all hire me for, you know, five weeks a year. So I have to somehow manage to squeeze all that in and make it line up where it seems like a regular job. Um, And uh, so I try to have, like, different rules and etiquette in place so I know how to handle it. Uh, like for instance, usually the first thing I do is I get with the rule that the first person that confirms me is the one that has me for those dates. And I try to stick with that, you know, nine times out of 10. Well, this guy called first, I said, yes, I'm going to do that for sure. And then the other people that call me, I'll graciously say, bow out and say, I can't do it, but can I help you find someone else for that date? You know, let me get my best friend or someone else to do it. So it's still in the family, you know. I say, you know what? I can't do it, but I one of my best buddies, he's available and he'll slay the gig. And then I feel like it's kind of still in the same click. Yeah. Um, and then at the times there are certain artists that want a little more loyalty out of you than others. Uh, and Shakira and Perry might be two of those artists. Um, and therefore, I will try to make. I'll try to bend some things around to make sure that uh, I'm available for them. It doesn't always work, um, and uh, something's a last minute, and there's nothing to do about it. I'm out of the country, and I can't be there, and they're understanding, but uh, there's, no, there's no right or wrong answer. Uh, like you said, you don't leave anyone high and dry. That's bad etiquette, and that'll come back to haunt you, so um, don't screw anyone over. Sometimes it, if someone calls you way in advance, three months in advance, and say something like, I think I'm available, I'm gonna pencil it in, and let's touch base as the dates approach. And that's leaving a nice and open where, like, I would really love to do it, but if something really big comes up that I can't turn down, I'll find someone else to do the gig that's as good as me or better, and you'll be happy anyway. You know? So that's kind of the way I do it, is I get, you know, full service drumming where Either I'll be there or someone equally good or better will be there in the place. And I won't leave you hanging. And that's usually what keeps uh, artists and managers uh, very comfortable with calling me because they know, you know either I'll be there or the job will be covered, and that, that
0: works. Yeah, well, I was about to ask, why haven't you thrown my name out? But then you said it would have to be somebody as good, if not better. So n- now I understand why you're not... <laughs> why you're not throwing me any gigs <laughs> brendan <laughs> no no if
1: you if you lived in la then you move to neighborhood.
0: we you be in the same group <laughs> no it's it's uh you know i i i always have to d- have some self deprecating humor whenever i can um so you yeah, know it, it, the the last time we talked you know we kind of got your background and um you, you know we talked about you growing up in in jersey and you know, taking lessons from the great Tommy Igoe and and, and all those things. But we also talked about some of your early influences. And if my memory serves me correctly, Jane's Addiction was in your list. So talk to me about how the Perry Farrell gig came along. And then, you know, tell me what it's like playing in Perry's band with you having, you know, been a Jane's Addiction fan when you were a younger guy?
1: Yeah, that's you it, it hit the nail on the head. Like, that was one of my favorite bands in 19... Uh, gosh, when did I get? nothing shocking. I got it when it came out. I saw the video on 120 Minutes, which was a, a show that MTV had on Sunday nights at midnight, and it, it played alternative videos so you can see things like that. So I remember seeing Mountain Song on TV and saying, this is the best thing I've ever seen on TV. <laughs> <So> good. <laughs> and then uh was a fan of that. a fan of their album. There was a live X album and then the children are habitual. Um, saw them multiple times when I was in high school. Um, went to the first Lollapalooza uh, when I was in Jersey where they had lines and of Living Color and Henry Rollins and who all around on that one. Um... Susan the Banshees, and I can't remember how many other artists, though. It's great, great build. And, um, yeah, and I, and I realized, you know, that was a seminal band for me. Just like, they were alternative, they were rocking, they were tribal, everything. And then, um, yeah, that, that gig came around because I know several people that are already in the band. Um, the bassist Chris Cheney, the keyboardist Matt Roadie, the guitarist um, uh, Nick Mayberry, and, and Perry's solo band. These are also guys who are in James' edition sometimes, too, but they're also in the solo band. So I guess he released a new record, and I got a call saying uh, Perry's looking for a drummer to do shows, solo shows, and your name came up. Would you come in and um, do a, like a little four- or five-song jam to see if, uh, it, if it gels? So I went in. I'm... I'm Along with a couple other fantastic LA drummers and we all just did our own version of his new music and somehow he chose me and um, it is a trip. It is a trip because, <laughs> uh, I've played with, i played with many, many, many very famous artists, singers and everything and, uh, but I can't remember a time where I've played with someone where I grew up listening to their music. Like, uh, this is the first time where she turns around and says, hey, let's do stop or let's do uh, change Chad And I'm like, of course. I, I grew up listening to those songs, you know. Most of the time, I'm working for someone in Calc America or Asia or somewhere where they're very famous, but I didn't grow up listening to their albums, you know. Uh, this is kind of the first time where I feel like I'm... You know, I'm like a fanboy also of both Perry and the Catalog and Stephen Perkins and everything. So it was a big deal for me. Uh, I'm, and uh, he wound up being just nicer than I could imagine. And the whole band is super cool. And uh, it's a blast. I mean, we learned all of his new stuff. Basically, that was the big chunk. But then for the set list, he wanted to add, we kind of threw in, we had about, maybe eight James Addiction songs that we rotate through the set list and maybe three Pono Caparo songs and, and maybe about a handful of five or six covers. So we do a little mix of everything. And uh yeah, it's it's fantastic. And I and and as much as I want to play the songs note for note exactly like Stephen Perkins, Perry actually doesn't want me to do that. He's like just do a, do a different version. You don't have to like do that ultimate version, like totally weird, but just don't feel like you have to stay to that because if I wanted that, I would just go out and a with James Addiction. You know, I want it to be slightly different. And So he would turn around and often suggest things like, you know, just shout out different styles and he likes to break it down real quietly and, uh, you know, go into, you know, swing everything. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, you always have these suggestions. So I feel like I don't have to actually play it like I'm in a cover band, you know, uh, Although I probably would because I, I just love the drum parts. And, no no feel free to do anything else and you know, I'd appreciate that. So and what was funny was I, I wound up uh hanging out with Stephen Perkins all last week because I went to this Patriot convention and we were on the same flight there, the same flight back and and he's just also the nicest, most positive dude and zero attitude, zero ego and it's it's I feel like uh it's uh it's a nice family to be part of, you know
0: yeah for sure man. well, and congrats to you. I mean it it would be you know, the only thing that that I could compare it to it would be like if I, I don't know if I got asked to play with Aerosmith or something like that, you know what I mean? It's just um I you know, it's
1: exactly like that yeah you,
0: you know, just kudos to you, brother. I mean, I'm I was when you started putting some stuff on social media about it, you know, I was just like, oh yes, man, this is so awesome. this is great. Um, so I know it's got to be a lot of fun and, and you're looking forward to, uh, I think you mentioned some South America dates, uh, in 2020 with Perry, is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. You're going. Uh, I mean, not only we're going to do some, um, you know, we do some Lollapalooza festival shows, which are a blast, but then you also want the in-between do club shows. So we do like a festival one night, we do a rock club the next night and, it makes it really fun, and uh, you know, bouncing back and forth, and um, you know, keeps you on your on your
0: toes. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, yeah, that's awesome. Now, you you mentioned PASIC, and you know, I, I think everybody is is aware of Percussive Arts Society, but PASIC is the Percussive Arts Society International Convention, and it's held every year in Indianapolis, which is just right up the road from me and. I skipped out this year um, because Lisa and I were celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary our, our anniversary was this past week so I, I was not gonna leave during congratulations the, <laughs> thank you I was not gonna leave during the week of our 20th wedding anniversary but we had so many um that's probably
1: why you've been married 20 years
0: exactly and because I'm not in Taiwan right now the week of thanksgiving and and all those things. <laughs> So, but, uh, but anyway, we had so many past guests of the show that actually, um, you, you know, presented there and did a clinic at PASIC. Uh, you were there, uh, Keo Stroud was there, Scott Pellegrim was there. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing, you know, a ton of folks, but it, it really is just this huge convention where percussionists and drummers can get together together and just learn for like three or four days. So talk to me a little bit about that experience for you.
1: Yeah, it was, well, not to sound cliche, but it was a total honor actually just to be invited and be part of it. I was, it was, and it was a fantastic convention. It's so well run. Uh, I admit that I had never gone before. And it's not, not for lack of trying. I've been trying for years and years to go, but every November, something would come up, like I'd have to postpone for the next year, postpone for the next year. Not to, even to perform, just to attend. I've been trying to even attend it for years, and i comes <laughs> come to every year. But, uh, and yeah, even last year, I was booked to do it, and I had the bail in the 11th hour because of the gig with Shakira, and I felt so bad, and I'm like, oh, guys, I'm sorry. You must hate me. Nope. Which happens actually all the time. We'll call you next year. I'm like, thank you. I'm going to tell them, I promise you no matter what happens, next year I'll be there. I will like block out the whole month. So I made it happen this, this last week and it was so fun. I got to do a clinic, uh an hour-long clinic um, for a large room of people, all drummers, uh students, educators, peers, and, um, and then, like you said, it's a four-day event, I think, and it has classical percussion, marching percussion, drum set, you know, Latin percussion clinics and performances all day long in multiple ballrooms in the convention and uh, a convention center. And uh, I just run into lots of people you know um, and uh, lots of events at night, performances and hangs and dinners and jam sessions. So, um, for a drummer, it's like nerd heaven. Uh, you get to see people and chat with people and hang out and learn. Um, for me, personally, it was a lot of fun because I do a fair share of drum comics, but I have to admit I took this one pretty seriously. I wanted, because I knew, uh, not that I was nervous uh, or I was insecure about how many other great people were going to be there, but I just imagined that the audience was going to be just overwhelmed with so many good Things to see and so much information that I wanted to hit them with something very simple and and logical that they could take home and work on right away. So, you know, I, I kind of came up with a, a lesson plan that I could teach in, in one hour, and it went really well. Uh, everyone seemed to respond, and I got a lot of great feedback from everyone involved. And, uh, and then yeah, and I got to see that uh, the Sanchez was right after me. Stephen Perkins was right before me. Dave Yelich was the day before me, and Ash Stone was before me, and I missed Scott Codroms, but I heard his was really great. I mean, Dave DeSanto did it, and, and people were raving about his clinic. Um, well, Stanton Moore was after me, and he killed it. Um, Daphne Prieto was there, he killed it. Um, who else was there the weekend I did it? Um, Jason McGare was there just hanging out. <laughs> He's awesome, and she loves drums, so... There's a lot of people that are just hanging out, uh, drummers, uh, just, you know, there for the hang or for the, for the learning, uh, of it all. And, uh, yeah, I hope to not only do it again some year, but to attend more often and, um, also to, to take what I learned because, uh, much like performing shows or doing recordings, I think, uh, teaching seminars or clinics or master classes is also something that you can Get much better at with experience, you know the ten thousand hours. So every time I do it, I think, that was great. Going to learn from that and be a better one next time. So uh, I feel pretty good. I'm I'm already playing another clinic, I guess, in December in Shanghai. So I hope to do even better version of that next month.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. Well, I, you know, I I think it goes without saying that. I, and I think you and I even talked about this before. You know, it's like every time I go see another drummer, whether it's in, you know, a cover band in a bar or a clinic or a master class or whatever, I pick up some little piece, some little nugget of knowledge, and I integrate that into my own playing. So when you get to a place like the PASIC convention, you know, I, I, hopefully you're just like a sponge and you're taking all kinds of ideas. And it's, you know, I, I've tried to explain to people when you go to these big events like that, um, you know, y, you get re-excited about practicing. You know, I mean, do you, do you feel that, that same way after you've been to something like that? Are you like a kid again when you sit down behind the kit? Yeah, 100%, 100%.
1: I don't know if everyone's like that. In fact, I know not everyone is like that. Some people have a very closed mentality where they're like, uh, that's not my thing, I don't dig that, or this guy isn't the good, I've heard, or whatever. And other people have an open, absorbing uh, attitude about drumming. Like I can learn from everything and everyone and every experience and every instance. And I feel that way. Every time I see anybody, whether... I might mean, have a completely different style than that person, but I still learn something from that person. You know, wow, that's interesting how he subdivides, or interesting how he sits, or the interesting tone he gets out of that drum, or or whatever. Learn something from everyone. And, you know, you don't have to get a copy of anybody, but you can take 1% from this person, 1% from that person, and, and then just add it to what you're doing, and uh just constantly grow. Um and I feel like yeah, that's always been the way I felt. I would see a, a drummer that just floors me. And I don't leave the, the room saying, oh, I'm terrible. I'll never be that good. Or, you know, I should quit. I, I usually leave saying, wow, I want to practice. I want to <laughs> get 10% of what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> like if I can get 5% of what's going on there, I'll be a better drummer. You know? Yeah. So I I try to throw myself in those uh, scenarios where where I'm going to be inspired and and um, and I'm not too hard on myself that I don't play like every other legend out there. You know, I I could just be myself, but just keep on improving, and I'm still doing a good job at the drum I think.
0: Yeah, and you know, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion, you know, especially on this show with, with other drummers you know i mean i've had marco miniman on the show you know i've had the the great bill stewart on the show you know there there are some guys that are just freaks of nature that none of us are ever going to be that you you know what i'm saying you, you we're I know you're saying. You, you know it, but you can still look at those guys and go man maybe if i could just steal this one little fill or you know, something the, the way he, uh, you know, I, I don't know the way he hits the, the bell of his ride symbol, any little nugget of information is pushing you further in your playing, you know? And I think, I think there's far too many young drummers that just get onto Instagram or YouTube or whatever, and they only watch the, the shredders. You know what I mean? The guys, you, you know, the, the, The circus act, I guess you would say, and it can be very discouraging because you go, well, I'll never be able to play this at, you know, 240 beats a minute or, or whatever the case may be, but it's not about that. You know, you have to be yourself as a player, but still we all steal ideas from other people. You know, I mean, I can't begin to tell you how much stuff, you know, I've stolen from watching you play. You know, just uh, the way I uh, you play a feel in a certain groove. It's like, wow, I never thought about changing the feel of that groove that way. I, I think that's what's so cool about drumming.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you said a couple of things in there that I, I agree with, and um, one of them is, uh, well, I don't know, I've already forgotten a couple of them, but yeah, I, I agree that um, comparison. Is, is a dangerous thing. When you start to look at other drummers and compare yourself to them, it's hardly ever going to end well. So you're, you're usually going to make yourself feel terrible. And, uh, and, but you have to do it. We're always doing it. We're always saying, like, where am I compared to him? Where am I compared to that guy or that girl or whatever? Uh, he's, he's younger. He's faster. He's got better gigs than me. Where am I? You know, it's usually not going to end well. So, uh, It's, you have to do kind of like a mental shift to say, I'm on my own journey. You know, as silly as that sounds, I am on my own journey. It's my own little path in music. It's my own path in drumming. I'm not taking the same path he is or she is or whatever. And you have to constantly repeat that to yourself. It's my own journey. And I'm just trying to get myself better every day, better version of myself. and, And, um... It's, it, I mean, I think beginner drummers deal with that, and you'd be you surprised to know advanced drummers deal with that too. Because now I'm in a in a I'm in a society where I'm hanging out with the best drummers on the planet, and we're all friends. And um and I'm I have a hard time not just giving them the the I am not worthy I am not worthy attitude all the time, and they they don't want that. And and everyone realizes at a certain point that we're all you know, dealing with our own um, progress, dealing with our own demons and our own insecurities and everything—you you would be surprised. No matter how proficient a drummer is, deep down inside, you probably think he doesn't do something well, or he wishes he did something else better, or he admires someone else for something. And um, it's endless. If you if you take on a, a craft like drumming, you're you're basically taking on that whole. Uh, I don't know, that whole game of, uh, how am I gonna get better at this? How am I gonna master this? It's, it's endless. It really is. And then, you were talking about like, uh, you know, watching, uh, Chops videos, and I love them as much as anyone loves, like, doing that, but that is only one element of drumming, and that is the the skill-based, how can I dip around the drums in an impressive way? Kind of drumming, and it is exciting. It's exciting to see people pushing that envelope, like uh, linear drumming, hand-foot stuff, and speed, and whatever, and sonics. And but the other side of it is making music, and they're two different, two different things. Uh, so you can admire a drummer because he can dip around the drums, and that's really cool. Or you can admire a drummer because he has a sick resume with the best artists out there and he's recorded hundreds of records and he plays with the top artists and he's super in demand. And this person might or might not zip around the drums at all, but they just have a great feel, great pocket, great attitude, great tone and they're, they're super hireable and, um, and you see this all over the place. And and maybe a less experienced drummer would, would might say like, why is that guy so in demand? I don't see it. He doesn't do YouTube videos. He doesn't zip around the drums, but an artist or a producer or something does see something very special in that drummer. This, uh, This guy has a sick feel, sick time, amazing tone. He understands music and arrangements. And I want him for every album I record or every tour I do. So you can, kind of shoot for one or the other, maybe both. There are very few drummers that do both, and I, would, I wish I could do both. But, um, yeah, some people, they just, they pursue the, the drumistic side of drumming, and that's super cool if that's what you want to do. And then other people pursue the music, the music making side of drumming. Um, and that's a different thing. Uh, and I, I'm a nerd enough about the drums. I'm nerd enough about the drums that, uh, I like both. I, I appreciate the J. Roses and the Jimmy Keltner's and, and those guys. And I appreciate the guys who are just, you know, blisteringly awesome on the kid also. And uh, and I feel like I learned from both. You know, I will watch, you know, dozens of Brian Blade videos just to try to figure out what's going on with his feel and dynamics and his interaction. And then I'll watch some... I never heard of doing some crazy hand foot stuff. And I'm like, that's pretty cool, too. I've never I've never phrased that six note grouping in that order. That's pretty cool. And yeah. I don't know. That's just because I'm crazy about drums.
0: Well, I mean, I think we all are. But, you know, you, you took a couple of perfect examples right out of my mouth and, you know, Jay Belrose and Jim Keltner. Um, you know, I had the, the wonderful opportunity um, when Jay was doing the Raising Sand Tour with Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. A really good friend of mine was Jay's drum tech on that tour. And I had the opportunity to, you know, go to one of the shows and hang out backstage with them. And Jay Bellarose played that entire tour without a hi-hat. He was like, why would I bring a hi-hat around with me? We have a mandolin in the band. That's all the high end. You know, wh- why would I do that? Yeah. And I was just like, man, there's no way I would ever play a gig without a hi-hat. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just that, that song approach, something that, I, that would have never occurred to me as a drummer, right? And just uh, amazing nonetheless. But Jay would be the first guy to tell you, I can't play like Thomas Lang. I never will. Mhm. You know, I mean, I,
1: I, just... yeah, he's, very, he's very confident in, in his approach. Yeah. He's very confident in, uh, like that I'm going to be a different drummer and whether uh, you like it or not. Uh, and I, he has his own tones and constantly searching, but his own tones, his own approach to coming up with drum parts. They're very soulful. They're very minimalistic. And, uh, and he's a brilliant drummer. And then you might go see him play from Monday night gig in LA and be like, that's him. That's, that's, that's it. But you got, you have to get into the subtleties of it. And it's, it's masterful, actually. Yes. And, uh, and quite influential. But, uh, to someone who's used to seeing nothing but 64th notes, they might not get it at first. <laughs> uh, and, um, and I don't know. I mean, it's like I was saying, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with either, a, either side of music. You just can't confuse the two. You can't compare the two. You know, one is, uh, is pushing the limits of what you can do around the drum set. And another one is, you know, pushing the limits of making music. You know, how can you make music with other people? And how can you do it deeper and better and more soulful and more original and, you know, make, make people super comfortable and super happy? And, um, they're, they're different things. And, uh, there are very few drummers, I think, that have both at the same time um and because there's such different approaches to drumming
0: I, I agree and that's what's wonderful about our instrument is you know there's well all instruments i mean i'm not just going to single out us drummers you know i mean there are guitarists out there that can do the you know the eddie van halen thing but you know the james burton thing is completely different right it, it's it's still you know, you still got your chops, but it's a different kind of thing. And knowing when to push, knowing when not to push, you know, we talked about your your studio experience the last time you were here. And, you know, I, I would venture to guess that there's probably in, in the pop sphere, there's nobody right now that's doing it at the level that you are In the way that you are, if that makes any sense, I know there's plenty of studio guys out there, but when you go in on a session, you get the job done. You know, I mean, I, I, I mean, and there's something inherent in that part of your playing. What I mean by that is, you go in, you don't argue with the producer, you give the artist what they want, you stay on the click, and you you lay down a really nice, soulful drum track for the record and that is to be envied I think
1: yeah well um, I, I would push back and say that hopefully there's a lot of drummers who are doing that but uh, but I want to be one of them uh, I think uh, a lot I have a lot of friends who I think approach the drums similarly the, as I do and um, yeah but uh, I I want to my, I want drums to be original and cool, and I, I want drummers to dig what I do, but that's not my first priority. My first priority is to get the job done, and the job is usually making the artist and the producer happy or the musical director or, or something like that. So, first objective is always, you know, who hired me and what, am I, what is my job? My job is, is to record, whatever, nine songs for this artist and, and make the producer and the artist super happy with their music. That's my first objective, and I want to do that. I want to please them and please myself, and then hopefully it's done in a way where my drummer friends, also, if they heard that, will go, "Ah, this sounds really good." But but that's like third or fourth on the list, um, because I know, you know, my hierarchy of what I'm trying to accomplish, and if that goes with live concerts, with with everything I do, you know, I have. The, my objectives and they're set in a certain order and I, and I don't reverse them because then I think uh, I might not be, be true to myself or you know, the people in charge or the people that are relying on me to get the job done.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I I guess my point in all of that is – you know, I, I can guarantee you, you've never gone into a recording session and said, "Hey, this song would sound a whole lot better if we played it in fifteen sixteen time." <laughs>
1: yeah, that that hasn't come out of my mouth, at least not seriously.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you go in and you do your job, and and that's what you know I think is is so awesome about what it is that we all do, you know. Marco Miniman can go in and say this song would be a lot better in 15, 16 time. I, you know, I, so I guess I'm not trying to compare anybody. I'm just saying that I agree with you. There's two different ways to approach the job, so to speak.
1: though I mean, people have a misconception about him about him being only a freakish clinician or something like that. I remember once, being at SIR in Hollywood, it's a rehearsal studio with multiple rooms, uh, studio, studio instrument rentals in Hollywood, uh, California. And I was rehearsing with some artists in one room. And in another room, I was listening to like a police cover band. And I was like, and I'm a huge police fan. So I'm like, oh, cool, these guys sound good. And uh, I'm just listening to the door and I'm like, what's going on there? I'm like, yeah, these guys sound legit. And then, uh, you know, during one of the breaks, uh, the door opened and I realized it was, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was Sting's son. And he had his own police cover band. He was, like, playing bass and singing in this band. And Marco Miniman was on drums. And he was <laughs> killing the Stuart <laughs> Copeland thing. So there you go. Like, you know, someone might say, oh, he's like DW guy. He, you know, does all this cool, like, odd kind stuff. But I remember looking and saying, dude, that guy is slaying these police songs. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, well, shout
0: out to him. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with his band, uh, The Aristocrats, or not, but, you know, he's been doing a lot of songwriting here lately and composing. He is also a wonderful guitar player. Uh, He he can play keys. Um, I I think he's starting to morph away from that, uh, you know, drum shredder a little bit, Um, but it's still when you watch somebody play that sort of stuff effortlessly, you know, I go, wow, never can I, you know, even attempt that. I would look foolish if I did. So, you know, I'm very envious of guys that have that level of talent.
1: Yeah, and also I remember, I mean, the shredding, unfortunately, shredding is kind of a young man's game. Uh, I remember once seeing... Uh, and I, I love Terry Bozio, and I remember seeing him do a drum concert once, and this was, this could be almost 20 years ago now. I saw him doing at a guitar center with the, the ostinato thing, solo drumming performance. It was probably an hour and 45 minutes long of just drum, drum ostinato solos. And I remember he did a Q and a at the end, and someone was asking him, uh, I can't remember what the question was, but he said, you know, I used to, you know, be a chops guy, and I was a double bass guy, and now guy, there are guys who play four times more intricately and faster than I do. And I, I, I'm i not going to be the best at that anymore. There's always going to be someone younger and faster than you. So as you go through your career, you have to morph, and you have to become the more musical guy or the more inventive guy or learn other instruments or be a composer or start an original project or... You have to come up with other things other than just being the chops guy. Yeah, so That's, that's going to fade, and you're going you're gonna to lose that throne sooner or later. And uh, you see it in sports all the time. The sports figures who have the longest careers, the sports is a young man's game, and the guys who play into their 30s or uh, some guys playing into their 40s, they change their game. So it's not about speed and power toward the end. It's about... Knowledge of the field or knowledge of, of, you know, teamwork or strategy or whatever. And I think in, in a, in, in a kind of a analogous way, I think drumming happens that way too. You see these guys who, when they're 21, they were just freakishly gifted on the drum. And then by the time they're 40, they become really well-rounded musicians who are producing and doing all sorts of things because you, you, you can only play so fast for so long and then you have to pursue other avenues of music.
0: Yeah, very very true. Now, that leads me to my, my next question for you and, you know, you can say, nope, I defer on this one but, you know, I have said a million times rock and roll, pop, whatever the case may be is a young man's game and, you know, there comes a time where you may not get hired because you have gray hair, or you may have picked up a few extra pounds in the middle, or you just don't fit with the image of the 22-year-old artist or the 28-year-old artist, whatever the case may be, you know, how do we as, you know, sidemen or freelance drummers, how do we combat that? Or can we?
1: I mean, I, that, that is mostly true. I mean, and why would you want to go see some Nickelodeon artist who, who, uh, and then they look like they have a band of grandpas? Right. It, it, it wouldn't match. It, image-wise, even if they sound good, it wouldn't match. So, you know, if you see some 18-year-old, uh, teen beat heartthrob, you want to see a band of similar looking people, boys and girls or whatever. And, I think, but it's not necessarily rock and roll or pop because, uh I mean, Cher is pop and her band is 18 years old, you know, and yeah. uh, John Fogarty is rock and his band is, is a bunch of people about his age, you know? So yeah. I think what happens is you kind of have to align yourself with artists that are in your similar age bracket and some people call those terms like legacy artists or something, but... You know, as you get older, um, you want to be playing with you know like slightly older artists, I guess. Um, I don't I don't work with a lot of people that are twenty one years old. I mean, most of the people I, with whom I work are between thirty five and sixty, uh, and that's you know I think it's part of partly because that's the musical scene and click that I'm in, you know. And then there's a whole other generation of you know twenty year olds that are going to get those gigs, and that's actually cool, and it's kind of the way it's supposed to be. If I'm working with nothing but eighteen-year-olds, I'm kind of actually off kilter in my career. Uh, why am I? Why am I not working with forty-five-year-olds? You know, um, and um, I think it's just the way it is. I mean, there are cycles to life, and you can't deny it no matter how much plastic surgery you get or whatever, <laughs> you know, giving diet you're on, there are cycles to life. And you are a child, and then you're a young adult, and then you're a you know, grown adult, and then you're of senior age. And you can try to do that, that art gracefully, or you can try to fight it brutally, but it is what it is. And uh, I guess I'm in maybe the third quarter of that now, and I'm trying to do that gracefully, by playing with the right artists, the right music, I'm not denying it, and um, and I think it's working, and uh, all of my friends, I, I'm not the only one who does this, uh, I have like dozens and dozens and dozens of buddies, drummers and bassists and guitarists that are in the same boat, and I think we all do kind of a similar thing, we all work with artists in... Similar age brackets and therefore the bands and the, the, everything, the fans, everything are kind of appropriate. And you know, and it's, it's kind of odd when you do get called that occasional thing to work with this 18 year old starlet. You're like, wow, I feel like maybe this isn't the right thing. You know, I feel like you should find a 20 year old drummer. You know, maybe that's a, a better, a better thing for your group or your music. Um
0: I don't know. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's fair. And, you know, um, I, I was in a situation, you know, a few years back, young country artist just getting started. Um, he, he wanted a, a, a veteran band to kind of back him up. And, um, you know, I'm not going to mention any names here or anything like that. But, you know, he started getting a lot of really serious attention. And somebody asked me about my gray hair. And I knew right then it wasn't the right fit for me. Right.
1: yeah i mean I don't know there's some guys who are ageless uh they could be sixty and they seem to be able to fit into any genre but that's not not most people you know and uh um, i don't know i i mean it's hard to say i mean it's on a case to case basis, but in general, i think uh it only makes sense that people are uh in age-appropriate jobs
0: and age-appropriate gigs and things like that. Yeah, I, I agree. I just, you know, I, I no gig is so important to me that I'm going to go buy a box of Just For Men hair color or whatever, you know. <laughs> so, all right. Well, unless
1: so, you get the Marilyn Manson gig, then you have to dye your hair black.
0: Yes, it has to be blue-black, yeah. actually. So, um, well... Blue-black, yeah. Yeah, so... Shifting gears just a little bit, um, you know. I I know you don't have a ton of time off, but when you are back, you know, stateside, you're in LA, you're you're not on a tour right now. Are you doing lessons? Are you taking private students uh, at all?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of education in general. I'm a huge proponent of music education, and I love the drum community, uh, I love chatting about drums, I like helping people with the drum, and uh, I have a couple students that I teach fairly regularly in L.A., but they also, they work also, so sometimes they're gone for three months and I'm gone for two months, but uh, we get together when we're both available. And then I also teach lessons to people who, because LA's a music hub, people sometimes come in just for a week to do some shows, and I'll get up a message on Instagram or my website saying, hey, could I swing by and take a lesson with you? I'm in town for the week. So I teach a lot of one-off lessons, too, and um, which is great because you're getting all different levels of talent. Some guys are already killing it on, on the touring scene, but they still want to work on something. They want... They want to run by, run by someone else, what, what they're working on or what their problems are. And I feel like we can all learn from someone else who's doing it. Um, and, uh, and then I don't do a lot of beginner lessons anymore. Like I don't teach a lot of 12 year old kids who just got a drum set to Christmas. I, I mean, I did that when I lived in Miami. I used to work at a store called Resurrection Drums and I taught a lot of beginner lessons back then. But nowadays, it's usually guys who are already playing, who are already working, and they just, they need to improve on whatever, their, their pocket, their studio skills, their knowledge of electronics, their whatever, auditioning skills, all things that kind of get you from intermediate to advanced. And um, but I'll do it via Skype. I'll do it uh, FaceTime. I'll do it in person. Um, I, I, I teach sometimes when I'm touring. Because if I have a, a morning off or afternoon off, I don't mind getting together with some other local drummers and doing a, a lesson or a master class or a, a drum clinic. Uh, basically, it's pretty obvious that I just want to be playing drums all day in some fashion and I'm kind of obsessed with this. So I, I find different ways to do it, but for sure. And, uh, I mean, sooner or later, I mean, I've been slowly, slowly compiling lessons that I would like to put into a book, which I don't know if people even read drum books anymore, but I would love to uh, put out <laughs> some kind of instructional of some sort, uh, both maybe in a, in a printed version and in a video version. Um, and uh, I'm not rushing it, though, because, you know, I don't want to do it just for monetary reasons. I would like it to be good and uh, helpful. And uh, so I'm working on that slowly. And... that's it anything i could do to help any of the drummers uh,
0: i'm down for well man you got to take some time off to write a book right i mean you you, (laughs) you're just so busy all the time but you know that's that's what i love about you brendan is you're always down to help somebody out and and i really i mean i want to say thank you on behalf of the drumming community for being so approachable and answering all the questions, you know, and and I'll say this right now, if there's anybody out there that wants to incorporate any kind of electronics into their kit, and and you need some high-level help with that, Brendan is your guy. I mean, I I watched the video walkthrough of your Shakira tour rig, and man, that was pretty amazing, right? I mean, that that was a, a huge kind of hybrid setup that you were running every single night. It was amazing.
1: Yeah, that, that thing, that, that you know, that, that uh, NASA kit is, is interesting. I mean, and that only, that only comes with years and years of working with her and, you know, it kind of, morphs into that. I would never show up to a like you've never done before with that much equipment. <laughs> but it's just because the set list is so long now and, and there's so many specific sounds that you have to do to get the arrangements right and make her happy. You have this have specific clap sound on the bridge and this that it just turns into that. But uh, I am, I mean, you'll often see me playing like a three-piece kit also and I'm just as happy. It's just I try to play appropriate uh, music for each artist and, but, uh, you know, what you were saying about being approachable, I often, what, now I'm getting to the point now where a lot of people that hit me up five or eight years ago for a piece of advice or anything, a, a lesson or something, then they, I find out they're playing on the ground with some artist and I'm like, holy cow, that was that guy who said, hey, I don't know how to do the next PDF. Can you help me out? I'm like, sure. And next thing I know, they're, you know, doing a good, Way cooler than me and I'm not, I'm so thrilled that, you know, this is like some kid who is 18 and hit me up and now he's got his awesome career and he's doing it or she's doing it and I feel like, uh, uh, it's, I'm, I'm a big proponent of teamwork. I mean, uh, you can look at, uh, everyone like, you can think that you're on an island and you're doing this all by yourself, but I really believe that we're all in this together and, and um, in in drumming, in music, in society, (laughs) civilization, and uh, I think, uh, therefore, if I want anyone to help me out or I want anything to go well in my life, I should be equally willing to do that for other people also. So, I've always felt like um, I'm very open to anyone contacting me and asking questions, advice. wanting any kind of form of teaching, or just, uh, I mean, even, I haven't really said a lot of this uh, online, but even mental health issues, I feel like, I don't know how to approach this correctly, but I feel like a lot of people deal with anxiety and depression and things like that. I feel like I want to help people out there, too, because I've been there, everyone I know has gone through this, so, and I don't want to see, you know, young musicians, you know, just do this all on their own and beat themselves up or, or harm themselves in any way. But that's something I really haven't said online. Like, hey, if you're depressed, write me. Uh, that, that's kind of <laughs> awkward. And that, was my, that might send a wrong message. <laughs> I might just be like that, some self-help line. But I, I just, I feel like I want to help other people out the same way other people help me out. It's not like I'm some, uh, you know, Gandhi over here or something. I'm just, I'm just trying to give back because some of the people were great to me my whole life and uh and i i appreciate that so um i feel like if i surround myself with amazing people that help me out uh, i also want to be back for other people
0: yeah man well you're a world-class dude brendan and you know it, it goes without saying look it, it took us you know almost a year and a half to get you back because you're a busy guy but my platform is your platform. Anytime you've got something going on, you want to come on and just just do a, a hang, and you know we can talk about bass drum pedals for an hour. I mean, it, it's always educational with you. Uh, you're always welcome here. I, I can't I'll talk, think. I'll talk about
1: bass drum pedals with you right now. Yeah. <laughs> I know I you gig, would uh, over the weekend. And um, i I did a gig over the weekend, uh, and it was in a city called well, it, Ningbo, China is that an artist, Jeff Chang, when mentioned earlier. And uh, I'm like, we're doing a sound check, and you know, you know, it always takes a second to get used to backline gear. I'm using a rental DW kit, and uh, rental savings, and we're sound checking, and I'm like, everything's going well, we're going through the set list, and I'm like, oh, something feels weird with my feet today. I don't know, maybe I just didn't warm up correctly, or whatever, and I'm like, my accuracy feels a little off. And I'm like, ah, maybe the spring tension's weird. I'm adjusting the spring tension and the beater height. And then you start messing with the rotation of the, um, what do you call it, the gear. Like maybe it's too close or too far. And then I figured it's one of these BW pedals that's like two inches longer than normal uh, XF or something. Yeah. I didn't even notice because it looks like a BW 9000, but it's like, it's, I measured it, it's like two inches longer. I'm like, really? Is that it? And then, and then I noticed that like the, it was a double pedal. The left one was normal. The right one was, like, it was extra large. And surprisingly, without knowing it, it was totally weirding me out, you know, without looking down. I'm like, something feels really weird to me today. And, uh, so fortunately the backline company sent another one out like with a brand new 9,000. But there you go. Like, uh, it does make a difference. I probably would have gotten through the gig. No problem with that. But, uh, something, uh, was, was sending off an alarm of, man, you're just, you are just not nailing you today. <laughs> Um, well, you, and, uh, you don't know it for
0: the week. you don't know it but you had the new abe laborial junior model you know it's made for a size 20 right foot so
1: yeah exactly exactly
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right man well listen i am going to let you enjoy your day off and you know i i try to keep these you know evergreen content but i'm going to break my rule and say You know, this is Monday before Thanksgiving for you. It's Sunday night before Thanksgiving for me. Happy holidays. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Uh, Keep us posted on everything that's going on. We'd love to have you back again and again. Okay, brother?
1: Well, thank you. You run a great show. And uh, you have great guests, and you're you're a super positive dude. And I know you're a family man, too. So uh, happy holidays to you also and everyone else out
0: there. Man, I appreciate it, Brendan. Uh, real quick, before we let you go, give everybody the uh, social media tags, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff, and the website.
1: Uh, oh, you want me to uh, shout it out? Yeah, if you don't I mind. A website www.brendanbuckley.com. Uh, Brendan Buckley, 14 letters. And uh, Instagram, I believe, is at Brendan Buckley. Facebook, Brendan Buckley. I think my Twitter handle is Brendan Drums, B-R-E-N-D-A-N-D-R-U-M-S, because Brendan Buffy was taking when he invented Twitter. And um, maybe I need to buy it off the guy. I don't know how it works. But it's never <laughs> been that important to me. So uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have TikTok, but if, if that's the thing I have to do now, you let me know, guys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right, brother. Listen, happy Thanksgiving. Thanks so much for doing this. We'll talk to you real soon. Thank you. Let's do it
1: again sometime. All right. See
0: you, man. All right, everybody. That's going to wrap up episode 83 of the Drum Shuffle. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. And as always, we cannot do this show without all of you tuning in week in and week out. As always, hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you use to listen in. You're not going to want to miss some of the guests that we have coming up. Many thanks to Brendan Buckley for calling in all the way from Taiwan. Uh, I am sure his phone bill is not going to like him for talking to us for over an hour from halfway around the world. So we really do appreciate that. Next week, we're going to have another revisit from a past guest on the Drum Shuffle. We're going to be joined next week once again by the great Doug Clifford of Credence Clearwater Revival to do a career retrospective. Um, Credence Clearwater Revisited has announced their impending retirement, and we got Doug on the show to talk about his legacy and what he's going to be doing once he retires from the drumming world, so you're not going to want to miss that. As always, we answer every single email that we get here at the Drum Shuffle. The Drum Shuffle podcast at gmail.com is where you can write to us. The Drum Shuffle.com is our web address. And of course, you can find more information on me over at jamieeds.com. Click on those social media links, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can follow us there as well, and we certainly do appreciate it. Everybody, have a great week out there. Until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody.